0: I would like us to just take a few moments to focus on our gospel as a setup for our epistle. Let's look, if you will, turn to page 114, 114 in the Book of Common Prayer. Let's look at the collect. O God, who knoweth us to be set in the midst of so many and great dangers that by reason of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant us. To us, such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations. We're asking God for strength and protection. One of the ways in which we are protected is that God has set up his world with rulers and authorities, with government to punish the evildoers and to give, if you will, in a very shorthand way, to give certain freedoms to. Those that are, you know, righteous, that are, you know, walking within the bounds. I told my students this last week during uh, matins service. Hey, guys! Well, before actually, I said it reminds me of Saint Paul kicking, kicking against the goats. Sometimes you don't want to do what really you're supposed to do, and you fight it. And in some sense, at Saint Andrew's Academy, at any school, you have boundaries. And so as long as students live within, work within, walk within the boundaries, they don't get hurt. Some of them, though, end up going too fast and careening into the wall, and the wall's hard, and they get a little bit bruised. Some of them are trying to climb up and over the walls, of course, or just leap right over them and... As I told my children when they were very small, if you go outside the circle of my protection, for instance, you run out into the street, when I say stop, you ignore the authority, you could get killed or you could get very hurt. Um, And so in some sense, I think this collect is relating to that, that we want God's protection. Uh, we're, We're surrounded by dangers and we want his protection. And part of that protection is the civil government around us, the rules and authorities. It's interesting that um, one of the, the, the people that Jesus interacts with here is a centurion, very much a civil governor of his day. He is a ruler of uh, an army ruler. So he's like a captain, you know, that sort of thing. He's an officer and he's got a uh, hundred men under him. And uh, this centurion is of course very wise Um, And we see centurions over and over again in the Gospels, actually, more than any other particular um, Roman official. Um, And so here is Jesus interacting with a civil um, officer. But the officer is coming to him and he just says, look, I understand how this works. I can tell my servant, go take care of this. You go take care of this. You know, and, and they do what they're told because this is how authority and submission works. You don't have to come, just say, you, know, you, you can just make it happen, and indeed Jesus does, and his servant is healed. And this man has faith, and he understands this world that kind of raises up into our uh, reading and understanding today in our lectionary readings, well, our, our, our propers. Um, the, but then we also have the leper who comes to Jesus and is saying, hey, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand, touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately he was cleansed. Now, interestingly, Jesus says, don't tell anyone, go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. So here's another authority and submission situation. This one's ecclesial so, that this man is to go to the ecclesial authorities, the church authorities, and follow the rules, walk within the boundaries, and make the offering to Moses, uh, to God that Moses commanded. So, we see this picture of ecclesial authority, and we see this picture of civil authority. And of course, Jesus, being incarnate God, second person in the Trinity, he is the one that St. Paul is referring to. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God sets up rulers in our world. And of course, he is the obvious one, God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that is the ruler in, this, in the ecclesial world. So God is over the civil world, he's over the ecclesial world. Please note at the beginning here that that doesn't mean that there aren't despots, tyrants, and bad rulers in the civil world. Um, Nero was such a one. The earlier rule uh, was a little bit easier than the latter rule of of his reign. It also doesn't mean that there aren't despots, tyrants that are bishops in the church. Because we're human and we're going to end up with bad bishops, bad priests, bad deacons. And we've seen a lot of that in the latter part of the 20th century and, and into the 21st. So let's recognize that at the outset. Let me continue uh, moving to the epistle. Every person, says St. Paul, must be subject to the ruling authorities. There is no authority you see except from God, and those that exist have been put in place by God. It is God's servant you see for you and your good. That is why it is necessary to submit not only to avoid punishment, but because of conscience. That, too, is why you pay taxes. Darn it. The officials in question are God's ministers attending to this very thing. So pay each of them what is owed. Tribute to those who collect it. Revenue to those who collect it. Respect those who should be respected. Honor the people one ought to honor. I suppose that Americans might have always had trouble with this first part of this chapter 13 of the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Please understand that though our nation's history went one way in the 1770s, the American war for independence as we would like to term it, the revolutionary war as some uh, will talk about it, particularly the Brits, um, there was much discussion and much disagreement about the course of action that the colonies should Together take during this time period and for many years prior to the outbreak of hostilities. Listen to this. It is estimated that out of two million colonists, Anglo-colonists, not slaves, not Native American Indians, but Anglo-colonists, out of two million of them, three to four hundred thousand were loyalists. That's between fifteen and twenty percent of that group of people. Of those loyalists, about seventy-five thousand left the colonies to find homes in other parts of the British Empire, up to Canada, uh, down to Florida. Um, I don't remember what where Florida was historically at that time, but Florida and the Caribbean remained British. Um, so that's, that's actually, I, I don't think we think about that often, about how many people that is. What a big percentage of people are like, hold on, I'm not so sure we should do this. Those that did not leave, of those, many were attacked, were uh, lost their lands, their property. Many were killed by mobs of um, revolutionaries, you might say. So nothing is as clean as, as we like to talk about it in history, particularly when it comes to us in our own history. Today, as serious Christians, we must give due regard to the loyalists and their arguments when it comes to questions of obedience to civil authority. This is a difficult topic and one that I suspect is going to become more and more important in our own country in the days and years ahead. In Canada right now, a number of Christian ministers are in jail for disobeying orders from the government about gathering to worship during the COVID situation that has been ongoing for the last two years. Many here today, all of you, have heard numerous stories about the infringement of American Americans' religious liberties during these last two years. Our society is currently figuring out what religious liberties mean in relation to our current situation. Yes, you may say that you know what it means, but please understand it is not at all impossible that our society will say it means something different than what it has meant historically for our culture. That's not out of the realm of possibility that our government will say... No, it doesn't really mean that. It means this. And we'll find ourselves in a very different situation. I'm not saying it's right. I'm actually not saying anything about it other than it could happen. So let's uh, be wary and be ready. We as Christians, regardless, are going to have to think through these issues as we continue to move into a post-Christian world. One thing is clear. Even St. Paul thought that a man like Nero, a crazy despot who ended the apostle's own life, was a man put in authority by God himself. The ruling power is God's servant, verse 4. And in verse 1, St. Paul says, There is no authority you see except from God, and those that exist have been put in place by God. Now, I'm not saying in this exegesis of this passage that God put a particular man in a particular place for a particular purpose each and every time. I think sometimes we get the rulers we deserve. I think sometimes the way of the world and the way things operate give us what we have. And I think sometimes God puts particular men in particular places for particular seasons for particular purposes, Because we see that he has done that in Scripture, uh, in the Old Covenant in particular. Are there times when we must obey God rather than man? Yes, of course. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men when on trial before the high priest in the council. Peter and the apostles lived their lives disobeying the authorities around them in one way or another because they refused to give up speaking of Christ. Eventually, again, in one way or another, they almost all died because of this refusal to shut up about Jesus. I would argue that probably that's not our position here today in America in our post-Christian world. Yet St. Paul is very clear that the rule of the Christian life is not to just be obnoxious, not to just find ways to disagree with the rulers around us, but rather to live in harmony as much as possible with those around us. Paul makes it very clear that we are to obey the ruling authorities, the civil government, as we would say, as much as one can. Yes, St. Paul in our epistle today even notes that Christians are to pay taxes. During the COVID crisis over the last couple of years, churches had to decide how to deal with the rules coming down from counties and from states all over the country. Were they demands? Were they to be treated as requests? There is some discussion just about what kind of authority it was and what kind of authority they were exercising. It wasn't the legislature, it was executive authority, but the executive authority does have authority in our culture. So all sorts of arguments and discussions. What I don't think that most churches really realized fully was that the demand to shut down worship strikes at the very heart of what the church is and what she is called to do. I just recently preached that worship is the foundation for our very lives. Everything that we do grows out of this time here and our daily worship of God in the offices and our prayer life. It doesn't seem surprising to me that the enemy maneuvered during the last couple of years to shut down the foundation of the church's life and ministry, her worship. So many churches just shut down. In Oregon, it seems as if most of the church is still shut down today. I'm sure there are other states and regions where this is also true. There have been good arguments about, there have been good arguments had about what it means to follow St. Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 13. I'm afraid that many churches, however, opted not to use the Apostles' line and said instead, we need to obey man rather than follow God's law of sacramental weekly worship at the very least. To be fair, we as a local church here at St. Andrews followed the civil government and shut down our public worship as did everyone else. So I'm not throwing rocks in a glass neighborhood, or if I am, I'm hitting our house as well. I'm just absolutely sure that at some point the church needs to assess what it means to follow God and not man in such a situation. I believe another point worth mentioning is that in our culture, in our history, we have such a thing called religious liberty that so many other countries do not have. It is a gift of God to have a Constitution and a Bill of Rights that enumerates this religious liberty. And when we as Christians roll over and play dead when religious liberties are being attacked, I'm fairly certain that we are not being good stewards of that gift in our culture that has been given us. That gift of religi- religious liberties given to Christians and everyone else in America. <clears throat> Please don't hear me say saying this morning that the government is crazy and we should seek to become revolutionaries. I'm definitely not saying that. What I'm saying this morning is that we are to obey the civil government and be peaceable and good citizens of our communities, our states, our nation. As we become a more post-Christian society, however, we're going to need to be thoughtful about how we seek to steward the gift of of religious liberty that we have in our culture and how we will react to the pressures we will inevitably feel as Christians become more and more of a minority. This will mean likely that Christians will lose jobs and livelihoods. It's already happening. It will likely mean that options for moving forward in society, social circles and culture and the corporate world will become more and more closed to Christians. This will mean that we will have to, as a church, truly be serious about our faith and about serving one another and helping in times of need and difficulties as others face these pressures around us. I pray that we will be faithful citizens in our culture and faithful citizens in the heavenly Jerusalem and may we manifest Christ to the world so that the gospel and the church may thrive in America. Amen.